Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We fall into several different categories. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create and grow their businesses. And we have the do-it-yourselfers among you who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, and in fact, many of our listeners who tune in every week are all four of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. I also encourage you to subscribe on iTunes. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us serve more business creators just like you. And when you subscribe, you will get access to fresh content every week in addition to immediate download of our entire backlog of over 230 episodes on a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. What's really cool about the Business Creators Radio Show is we depend on feedback from you. And when we hear questions that we get, whether it's directly from listeners emailing us or calling us, or whether it's in our Groundhog Day group or whether it's on any of our pages, uh, we look for trends and what people want to see. We also look to see what gaps we still need to fill in, what new areas we feel are relevant to business careers that we have never covered before or haven't covered in a long time. So today, we are going to do an episode that is very centered on the human resource side of what business creators do. My own firm specializes in working with companies uh, that have two to ten team members, employees, contractors, what have you, and revenues of 200K and up. Uh, so we do. So we work with uh, the uh, the communications, um, the virtual team alignment, and other type marketing sort of things. And what we need is somebody who can share with us some of the issues on how to build a powerful team from the perspective of employee versus contractor, which is a very popular topic, and also some other issues that come up for our business creators. Uh, for example. Uh, what happens if you need to terminate somebody? What happens if you get a harassment camp complaint, which is more and more an issue in this day and age? You don't even need to turn on the news to know that one. And how to avoid some of the liabilities of being an employer or being somebody who works with contractors. To guide us through this, I'm very, very excited to have with us Carmen Torres, who is the founder of MyHRSpecialist.com. And just tell you a little bit about Carmen. Uh, she brings over 20 years of experience creating equitable, safe, and collaborative workplace environments for both employees and employers. As a trusted advisor to many organizations, she has successfully helped countless small to mid-sized businesses and nonprofit organizations establish reliable, stable human resource departments. Her approach includes a 360-degree analysis of the human resource function that results in building job descriptions, policies, and procedure manuals, conflict resolution, employee retention and termination structures, compliance audit standards, and employee communications. Wow. Ms. Torres brings a deep understanding of the complexities of managing human beings and meeting regulatory requirements while maintaining the organizational mission, achieving business goals and meeting quality standards, 
and brings a perspective that converts her into an invaluable resource. Uh, Carmen has, speaks, has been interviewed, and can present on the following topics. Essentials of HR for employers, prevention of sexual harassment in the workplace, employee versus contractor, the benefit of an employee handbook, interns, the pay or not to pay, and much more. These are some of the things we're going to cover on today's call. So have your pen, your pad of paper, and two pens out. Carmen is a member of PIHRA, which is the Professionals and Human Resources Association. She's the vice president of NLBWA-LA, which spells out to National Latina Business Women's Association, Los Angeles. And in 2003, she received her human resource management certification through the extension program at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, California, which I've driven past about 2,000 times. In her spare time, Carmen enjoys gatherings with her family, and you'll often find her improving her swing at the golf course. I promise, unless Carmen pushes back at me, I will not reveal the name of her golf team because it's hilarious. Uh, she has a little something for you at the end, but right now she has a ton of information for you. Carmen, welcome aboard. Come on in. Weather's fine. Thank you. <laughs> Adam, thank you so much for that detailed introduction. I love it. Woo! Yeah, I know. Uh, okay, ju- okay, and, and, ju- and just for that, I am going to say that you uh, did participate in a golf tournament once where the teams were, I believe it was the goodies versus the cuties. Oh, my gosh, you are amazing. I can't believe you remember that. <laughs> yes, there was a group of friends, four of us, and uh, we split up into teams, and uh, that's exactly what we called it at the end. Who won, the goodies or the cuties? <laughs> and the goodies, yes, the goodies won. I was on the goodies team. I wasn't considered the cuties, though. So. <laughs> well, but, uh, wait, way, to go, way to go on that. Way to go on that! Congratulations. When I was um when I was coming up in the world, I used to I used to bowl and I participated in bowling leagues. And it's a it was a weird twisted joke. They thought it would be hilarious. And I'm about to break every human resource rule in a book with what I'm about to say. They stuck <laughs> me with a te- they stuck me with a team called the Gutters, and they and they <laughs> populated my team with all the runs of the league just to see how bad we could lose. Well, well. They were eating their words when we led the league six weeks in a row. Wow! Because I, <laughs> because I took because I took time to do things like teach my team members that what you want to do is you want to roll the ball down the alley in such a way that you hit the pins so that they all fall down and you don't get discouraged when it plops in the gutter and they say, "Ha ha! Look at the gutters!" You just don't worry about all that stuff. But anyway. That's like right. You have a nice Carmen. strategy, though. Yeah, yeah. What was that, Adam? Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I was just about to say, what we'd like to do, I know I, um, your official bio is one of the longest we've ever read on Business Creators Radio Show, so you're probably setting a record with that one. But what I'd like to do is go one step further with that before we dive into the main content of today's presentation. We hear so much about your uh, your professional approach and the benefits you bring to your clients, organizations, and audiences. But tell us a little bit, for those of our listeners who are getting to know you, a little bit about your personal journey through all this and what has brought you to where you are today at the intersection of your brilliance and passion serving business creators. Absolutely. I'd love to. I, um, as you stated, I do have a background in HR that goes more than 20 years and, you know, working for various companies, um, one of the first companies that I worked in, 
in my role in HR was just amazing. I started at the bottom of the HR line there, and we had over 600 employees, so that particular position and role really allowed me to understand all the concepts of HR, and I, you know, really received most of my hands-on experience from that role. And then if I jump to the last position that I had as an HR um, manager with a really amazing company, we were building a theme park in Dubai, and we lost the contract uh, due to, you know, everything that was happening in uh, 2008 and 2009. And I found myself needing to lay off 90% of the staff that uh, we had hired. So through that process, um, again, you know, I was able to use my experience from the positions I had in the past, how to deal with staff and how to deliver information. And um, at that point, it was going to be super crucial to deliver appropriate information to them and to lay off, you know, so many team members. Um, so once that was complete and it did take uh it, it it was it was a really quick quick process it really was uh 72 hours i had 72 hours to lay off everyone and that included having to notify them and uh prepare all of the final documents and severance agreements and then eventually once everyone was laid off then it was receiving the unemployment benefit questionnaires and answering questions that they may have had, uh, going through COBRA information, so much to deal with. Um, but again, it just, you know, it was an experience. It was an unfortunate situation. And I also have to say that it was an experience that made me realize um, that this was definitely the place, you know, the kind of work that I truly enjoyed because it was about communicating positive um communicating difficult information in a positive manner, and it really makes a difference. And that's what I strive towards when I work with my clients and, you know, helping them communicate information so that um, they can have better working relationships with their team members. So since uh, 2009, I've been working on my business, and when I first started working, I was actually working as an independent contractor, and um, right. what I found, right, and what I found at that time is that so many businesses, they were losing employees, they had to lay off employees, and so nobody was really hiring, um, but they still needed help with their HR needs. They needed to know if they can properly terminate someone or lay someone off, and I found that there was a role for me with the level of experience that I had. And that's how I became an independent contractor, became a human resources consultant, and was able to help small business owners. And it's what I'm doing today. I've been doing it as a MyHR specialist for the past four or five years. And it's yep. just been amazing. I love the work that I'm doing, and, and you know, I love helping um, the business owners that I get to work with on a regular basis. Yeah, have you noticed uh, – and I'm asking you from inside your industry – uh, do we still see the trend being primarily for companies to have their own human resource department uh, in-house, or are you really seeing a much bigger trend towards people outsourcing to companies like yours? When I was um, going for my MBA 15 years ago, and my concentration was human resource management, one of the things that we were warned 
was that uh, we needed to be prepared for a world where a lot of us would become have to become entrepreneurs or become independent contractors in order to have the possibility of succeeding as a human resource professional. So have you seen that coming to pass, or are companies really still keeping a lot of this in-house? Which way do you see that going? That's a really great question, Adam. And I do see – actually, I, I do see both. What I've noticed is that in companies that have over 150 employees, it's typical for them to have an in-house HR support. And it could be someone that is just um, specifically, you know, there to handle the complaints. And um, But it's also possible that they may be outsourcing certain parts of their HR to an outside company or third-party administrator who's supporting them long-term. Uh, with the smaller businesses, I definitely see where they don't have in-house HR, and they do look for uh, consultants or businesses like MyHR specialists to support them on an ongoing basis, everything from their recruiting needs to terminations, performance management, trainings, all the little things in between. And um, many of the clients that work with us, it's mostly just because they need to be able to reach someone and call and ask, I have this problem right now. How do I take care of this? You know, what do I need to do at this moment? So I do see that um, a lot of HR professionals are not in-house and businesses are reaching out to um, other companies, it could be even workers' comp companies who will have an HR arm and payroll arm. So they're definitely outsourcing um, whatever they can when it comes to people management. Yeah, that and I, I found interesting is it seems you're identifying may not be an official cutoff, but you're noticing a trend where if a company has more than 150 employees, they are more likely to keep the function in-house, but when you get into smaller companies, like many of our listeners, because we, uh, our primary target uh, tends to be smaller entrepreneurial ventures, uh, the chances are they're going to outsource it. And one of the reasons I really wanted to make sure that we got your topic and you into the Business Creators Radio Show lineup is because as business creators move from having a solopreneurial type venture to getting to the point where they've grown and need support in order just to get through the day because there's so much going on, they start to find that all this HR bureaucrat stuff that they thought they'd gotten away from for the last time when they quit their J-O-B, well, guess what? That's relevant again because now they are <laughs> facing some of the same things in the marketplace as they themselves are developing a quote-unquote real company. Uh, I, I use a little air quotes there verbally, but the fact is it's what happens when you – you begin to get your structure and you get to have people supporting your business. Uh, and what you've told me, you mentioned this a few minutes ago before we went on the air, is that there are three things that business owners should not be afraid to admit. Uh, and I have them right here. One of which is, is that they know everything there is to know about their product and service, but know nothing about a human, running a human resource department. And the fact is there's a lot to running an HR department. Uh, the second is they don't have the appropriate files and documentation necessary to pass an audit, or to properly terminate. Um, I've worked in HR myself, and I know that there's a huge emphasis on documentation. And I have seen things uh, in employee files where it was literally spelled out 
we need to get this person written up so that we can document the process of firing them. So you actually had uh, a supervisor communicating their intent to run somebody out of the company and saying that they were writing them up so they could start to get it on paper. Uh, that was pretty blatant, mm -hmm. and I think that uh, I hope that came back to bite that supervisor. That was just unethically sleazy, but uh, the sentiment that they were stating was actually absolutely true. In order to properly terminate someone, you better have your ducks in a row. And when you bring the person into your office and let them know you're letting them go, if that's actually a surprise to them, you haven't done your job. And number three, they don't understand the legal rights of their employees. So where I would like to start here is something that comes up a lot. And I've seen, Carmen, I've seen you give this presentation at Jim Palmer's Dream Business Academy, and I saw a couple people in the audience actually get freaked out over this, which you know, was very interesting to me, is when we were talking about the difference between a contractor versus an employee. So first of all, when should you have a contractor versus when should you have an employee, and how do you tell the difference? Wow, yes. It is so crucial to know. And I think um, it's a decision that a lot of employers, you know, don't put a lot of thought into it. Sometimes we just think like, oh, you know what, I just need to hire someone and it's, I don't want to deal with all the payroll stuff, so let me just put them down as an independent contractor. Or the person that you're hiring says to you, hey, you know what, I just want to be paid as an independent contractor. I'll deal with the taxes on my own. And um, But then what's happening is that the worker is working on site, is being directed by the employer, and, you know, having to meet specific deadlines and being paid on an hourly basis. Those are all examples of an employee. So misclassifying your workers is uh, something that is very costly and, you know, definitely you'll find yourself with audits when the worker um, goes to unemployment, you know, to file for an unemployment claim once they're no longer working with you. So it's so important to know what, how to classify them from the start. And what you want to do from the beginning is first you want to say, you know, have your job description prepared and determine is this truly a position for an in-house hire. If so, then it's very likely going to be a an employee and an, not an independent contractor. When you want to classify or the way to classify independent contractors is, is this a temporary position? You know, is this a position that only requires uh, for them to help you with a specific project? And is there a time frame? You know, is it one month, three months, for example? And it could be a little bit longer. Um, but what kind of independence do they have to actually get the work done. And one of the things that the IRS looks for is control. You know, what kind of, what's the level of control that um, the worker or that the employer has when it comes to hiring the independent contractors? Uh, there are three factors that they actually look at. One of them is behavioral control. And this is, again, where I was saying, you know, um, does the business have control over how the worker completes the job? And, um, and you know, does the business provide training to them? And one of the other factors is financial control. Does the worker have the possibility of incurring a loss? Or does the business accept the financial uh, liability? And this includes, you know, any expenses that might be necessary in order for them to complete the job. It could be mileage. 
Um, it could be supplies, material. So there's a combination of, of things that are taken into consideration when it comes to the financial control. And then the other one is the relationship between the parties. You know, what type of agreement or contract uh, exists between them? And are there any benefits? Sometimes independent contractors or an employer will hire someone as an independent contractor, but then will say to them, well, you know, I'm going to go ahead and offer you pay time off. Or um, if they call and say, hey, listen, I'm not going to be available for work today, but then they still get paid or, um, or they pay them for vacation time or holiday pay. So you want to be right. really, really careful, you know, when it comes to um, – the kind of benefits that you're offering the independent contractors. The truth is independent contractors are not eligible for those kind of benefits. So that is one of the areas to definitely um, be aware of. Right. And, uh, you know, something you mentioned that I think is going to be very relevant to some of our listeners, uh, control of behaviors. Uh, let, me get, let me give you an example that I've actually had happen with a few people, a member of our audience have told us this. Uh, they uh, were, were people, uh, they were business creators, and they worked with contractors. And the contractors posted things on their own social media, on their own time, uh, that was embarrassing to their clients. And the client found out about it because uh, somebody saw what their contractor had written and went back to the client and said something to the effect of, do you realize who you have working for you here? Because mm -hmm. it was known that that person was, a con was a, a contractor working for the client. So uh, one of the one of these people who this happened to me, they told me that when they went through this, they realized they had to be very careful to not tell their contractor they had to take that embarrassing social media post down. And by embarrassing, I mean it was just very nasty political stuff, basically, that boomeranged back onto the client because of the relationship, what have you. And uh, and that person, uh, that, that business creator told me they had to be very careful to, to not say yes when their contractor said, would you like me to take the post down? Because they understood that could be interpreted as controlling a behavior. Were they right about that? Yes, that's correct. And, you know, um, corrective actions is really what it sounds like. And is that you do. You want to be really cautious when you're working with your independent contractors is not to treat them like an employee because what you would have done with an employee is you give them a corrective action, you know, or a write-up, right. a written documentation. And that's a, you don't want to cross the line. And so they did write in, in doing that and not asking them to take it down. But perhaps, you know, they could say, hey, listen, when, when you do post something, just keep us in mind or, you know, particularly if you have some of our contacts or clients, you know, on your database as well, keep in mind, you know, who else is reading this information. So it's okay to, right. you know, give a cautionary statement as such, um, but definitely no write-ups because I've had a couple of clients where they say, hey, you know, I want to write up, um, you know, this this employee. And, and that's, the, that's the difference too is when they start calling them employees because even – employers will get confused. And I said, okay, wait a minute, who are we referring to? Well, so-and-so, you're 1099? Yes. Okay, they're not your employee, and you can't write them up. So, you know, we've got to be really careful when uh, mentioning, you know, or when hiring the independent contractors. Right. And, and what this person also told me is what they did say to their contractor was, uh, you know, I want to be very clear. I'm not telling you 
what to do with your social media. But what I am saying is that if you continue to post things that boomerang on me and cause me embarrassment, I don't have to maintain you as a contractor. That is correct. So it was like, yeah. so basically, yeah, so basically what they were saying is I can't discipline you and I can't tell you what to do, but I don't have to do business with you either. So you have a choice you need yes. to make it. Absolutely. And okay. if the independent contractor values, you know, the work that they're receiving from that employer, uh, from that company, then, you know, it's very likely that they're going to take care of it and take it down or be more cautious in the future when they're posting. Right. And, 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 that's, and that, that's, that's important to bring up because a few people have mentioned having incidents like this with people they work with. And especially with the environment we're in today, you see more and more cases where somebody just completely bloviates with a political position, regardless of what position they have. And uh, people are so quick these days to link the person who's saying what it is they're saying and go back and say, oh, well, that Carmen Torres, I, I didn't exactly like that post that she put on social media. And I see that the, she works for this company called MyHR Specialist. I think I'm going to call over there and see who her supervisor is. And I think this company needs to pay in the form of boycotts because of what their random employee did. So especially when you have that going yes. on in a safe environment, we, uh, we want to be real careful to communicate that uh, there have to be certain standards. But I think what you're saying is you have to be careful how you communicate that because if that because in the cases of my friends who came to me with this, they said, uh, I think they also understood that if this has been their employees, they actually could have written them up because their social media posts um, caused the company embarrassment or even just outright fired them. But because they were not because they were not employees, they were contractors, they couldn't control the behavior. They could only use the leverage of whether they choose to continue the relationship. That is correct, Adam. Well said. That's exactly how it works. And, um, you know, and there's so, that's the reason why it's so important to make it clear from the beginning and um, not cross those lines. And you should also have an agreement with your independent contractors, you know, on uh, even regarding social media. You, there, there are certain things that you can include in your independent contractor agreements. Um, so, you know, have those reviewed by an attorney. Make sure that what you want to have is, is in place um, so that it can be addressed because it could be a reason for you to terminate your your agreement with them. Right. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, we've also heard of things like non-disclosure agreements and things along those lines. So uh, going from yeah. uh, contractor to employee, um, I know a big piece of what you do with your clients uh, is you help them develop their employee handbook. So I guess what I would ask is uh, when does a business creator or when does an entrepreneur get to the point where they actually need to do an employee handbook and what are some of the things that should be included within it? So I always encourage business owners to prepare for an employee handbook, you know, right from the start when they have their first employee because the truth is it's the way you set the tone, you set the level of communication right from the start. And once you have one employee, you're required, you know, in many states to have workers' compensation coverage uh, for your employees. And so particularly in California, um, it's, it's one of the policies, one of the benefits that you must have. So, again, it's important. It's one of the things that would go into your handbook. Your handbook should include things like, you know, some of the benefits that the employees will receive, whether um, there are group medical insurance, uh, we talked about workers' comp, and paid sick time leave, 
there are many states now that require paid sick time leave. And uh, vacation time, if you're going to have any vacation, do you offer holidays? Those are the kind of things that you want to have in there. And then even with those type of benefits, you know, if you offer holidays, uh, when, are, when do they become eligible for paid holidays? Is it, you know, at, from the moment they start working? Is it 30 days after, 90 days after? Um, and again, the same thing with vacation. You know, when does that vacation become available to them? Do they have to wait a year before it becomes available? So there's so many little details, you know, with each of the policies or benefits that you offer. And then policies and procedures, you know, should also be in there. Some of the crucial ones are sexual harassment policies. And, you know, what are the best ways for, you know, what, first of all, you want to include what does sexual harassment mean? And who do you complain to if you believe that you are a victim of sexual harassment or any type of harassment for that matter? And what are the steps right. that the companies require? So, you know, these are a lot of the things that need to be included into your handbooks, um, as well as procedures, you know, how to call out sick. If somebody's going to call out sick, um, if someone wants to take time off, how much notice do they have to provide you with? So what it does is that it allows the employee to have this information available to them so that when it comes to uh, notifying the employer they have the appropriate steps in place. Uh, another really great thing about or, you know, um, benefit about the handbook is that it allows the managers and the company to be able to uh, deal with employees in a fair manner because once you have everything in your handbook, then it's a matter of referencing them. If an employee has a question or a concern, or if you have to deal with an employee to give them a, um, a corrective action, then you can reference your handbook to make sure that it's processed fairly. And, um, and you know, that way employees don't feel that they're being treated, mistreated or one person is being treated better than the other. You know, I just thought of something here, and this happened to me many years ago when I used to work for a company. Uh, it, was, uh, it was back when I lived in Pennsylvania, which has a temperate climate, unlike the usually lush and beautiful climates that you and I enjoy in, uh, in Los Angeles and Las Vegas. Uh, so it was the beginning of December, and there was a freak snowstorm overnight. It hadn't even been in the forecast, but we woke up in the morning to 10 inches of snow on the ground. Now, because it was a freak snowstorm, obviously they weren't exactly on their game in terms of getting the roads cleared. Not their fault. They had no way of knowing mm -hmm. they needed to have the trucks out and the guys buying the trucks. And, um, and uh, I was in a situation where even on a good day, my commute to work took almost an hour. So there was no way I was going to be able to get to work. Now, aside from that, I had uh, a little bit of a family thing going on. Cause the point at that time, um, I still lived near my parents, and my dad, when coming home from work that night, had gotten into an automobile accident um, as a result of, you know, the roads not being treated, driving at night. And, um, and you know, you know can you imagine the, tra the trauma involved in being an automobile accident? And I got dad at home, and his truck's wrecked in the driveway and everything. So I had a job at the time where I was responsible for organizing trainings and uh, community events. And there was a community event happening that day, which obviously we were going to need to cancel. So um, I contacted my supervisor and told him that there was no way that I could, uh, I could, there was no way I could uh, get out of the, um, out of my driveway and I couldn't get there. But we needed to work on the event. Uh, so he said, "Well, go ahead and do what you got to do. Make the calls and whatever." 
So then a couple hours later, my supervisor comes to me and says that somebody had gone to his boss complaining that I was working from home, and therefore I had a choice between um, driving into the office right then and there and facing discipline or taking a vacation day. So here's what I did. Um, I came into the office, because by then they had the roads clear enough I could get there, and I immediately went to my employee handbook, and I was looking for the sections that covered work-at-home policies and where the work needed to be performed and whether somebody had to report to an office. Uh, and it mm-hmm. turned out that the employee handbook was completely silent on all those issues. It made no specifications about where the work was to be performed. So when they brought this to me, I said, look, you never you can tell me right now that you have no work-at-home policy, but you actually have absolutely no policy at all. So, therefore, I did nothing wrong. And there was nothing they could do. Right. You know, Adam, that's a really great example of, uh, you know, sometimes you wonder, what should I include in my handbook, right? And these are policies. The work-at-home policy is not a typical policy that many companies include into their handbook. It's probably why it wasn't in there. However, what it can do is it does put you in a position where an employee can say, hey, listen, it wasn't in there. I, you know, I don't feel that I was doing anything wrong. Um, I think that the way employers are looking at this, at their policies now, and at least the way my clients, um, you know, have been working on them with, you know, through our service and, and with the employees is that we look at things on an individual basis. We look at, you know, really what could have been done? Um, we know that there was a storm. Let's just take that into consideration, right? There's This is not a violation that, um, you know, is impacting the company in a way that we can't handle. They're taking care of what they got to take care of. So you really have to look at situations on a one, one-on-one basis. And in that case, I, I am surprised that they, you know, that they wanted to write you up um, in that moment or that they were asking you to take a vacation day, uh, particularly if, you know, you were um, a manager, uh, again, because there are different levels of things to look at. We have to look at if this is a manager. Were you a manager? Did you say you were a manager in that role? No, 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 no. I, I did not yeah, have okay. a managerial position okay. at that time. But, okay. uh, but see, let me just repeat mm-hmm. what happened very briefly is I had um, – I had called in and spoken with my supervisor, and he said that I should go ahead and do what I needed to do from home. And then mm-hmm. somebody heard that I was um, that I was doing yeah. stuff from home and went to, and went and complained to his boss's boss. And uh, to put it in one sentence, his boss's boss was uh, a pompous ass that just liked to throw his weight around. And that's where this was really coming from: is you had this boss's boss that just wanted everybody to feel his power. That's what this was all about, really. Yeah, and that's so unfortunate, you know, and it's so unfortunate because the truth is you can't possibly have every single situation written into your handbook either. Um, So you definitely want to have in your handbook where it does say, you know, that, you know, um, other situations as they arise, you know, will be addressed. And this was one of those situations where uh, the supervisor, your supervisor, gave you permission to handle things, you know, as you needed to from home. And, you know, it's definitely where, where it should start. Um, but that's one of the reasons why it is important for you, for companies to have a handbook because, look, employees are referencing their employee handbooks. Um, they yeah. are there for a purpose, right? 
So you did right in going back to your handbook and using it as a tool to help steer this communication in a manner that was going to be supportive of the decision that you had to make in that moment. Um, and right. now, at the same time, right, so it's, it's great for employers and it's great for employees. Yeah, because our business creators may be thinking, oh, no, I could be opening my, myself up to something. I mean, the reason you heard in my voice that I got so much enjoyment out of going to the employee handbook and showing that <laughs> they had not even addressed the issue of where the work was to be performed at all I enjoyed it just because my boss's boss was being an asshole, and I wanted to stick it to him. Um, however, yep. <laughs> if the employee handbook had addressed the issue and, and said, you know, this is where we expect the work to be performed. We expect the work to be performed in our office. If they had said that, and that any exceptions to this rule need to be approved by a supervisor, that would have covered, that would have uh, given my boss, my supervisor, the ability to say, look, he called me, and I said it was okay, so that's what the policy says. And that would have yes. also ended it right there. If they had included a line like yes. you said, uh, that, that any situations that arise that are outside the scope of what's covered here will be addressed on a one-to-one -one basis, that covers the fact that we can't possibly predict everything. Right, absolutely, and I think that's why it is important. And it's another reason why it's so important to – uh, not be so detailed as well. Oh, I've seen some handbooks, Adam, where the details oh, yeah. on correct, right? Corrective actions, especially uh, first notice, you know, verbal, then a second verbal, then a third verbal, then a written notice. I mean, before you know it, a whole year is going to pass by and you're still holding on to an employee who you should have let go nine months ago. Uh -huh. And so, you know, you want to put yourself in a position where you're going to be able to let someone go if you need to. Um, some of those reasons right. might be, right, where, you know, they're fighting or uh, any kind of altercations or situations where they endanger, uh, you know, other employees. And so don't have these policies where you have to follow every single step. Um, uh -huh. They should be fair. And they should be based on, uh, you know, no discrimination. So, again, these are things to, to keep in mind. And the way you do that, it's, it's difficult. It's so much information. So make sure that when you are working on your handbook that you have either an attorney or an HR specialist support you with uh, your handbook to make sure that the information that you are communicating to your employees is um, within the legal requirements, that it's uh, easily being uh, communicated and interpreted, and, um, and that it meets all the, the local, state, and federal uh, regulations. Right. And, you know, we are just blowing through the hour here because, this is, to me, this is fascinating stuff. And I know <laughs> some of our listeners have been asking for a topic like this, so I imagine they're sitting on the edge of their seats, too. Uh, so we're going to have to change things up a little bit, but I want to get to something that, as I alluded to earlier, especially in this day and age, has become a really, really, really big deal, which is what should an employer do when they receive a harassment complaint? Uh, yes, that is such a big one right now. And one, the first thing you want to do is you want to listen to the person who is complaining. You know, go ahead, listen to what they're saying, and be cautious to uh, not agree, you know, with what they're saying, but just to be that listening ear. Take some notes, definitely. Right. And once they are done, you know, one of the first things that I recommend is to ask them, what is it that you're looking for and, and you know, um, what can – 
what is the outcome that you're looking for? That's the first thing, right? Because we don't want to go into a big deal if, if the outcome that they're looking for is, hey, I just want him to stop or I just want her to stop. And so right. you also, you know, might want to ask them to uh, to write it down. You know, once they share it with you verbally, uh, you can ask them to, to put it in writing as well. But here's where I caution you as well because, again, it's going to depend on what the situation is. Um, if it seems like there are many people involved and uh, a situation that may need to be investigated, many times that's exactly what needs to happen is that it needs to be investigated. And in some cases, it can be handled as quickly as letting the other person know, hey, listen, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but um, the way you're communicating, you know, with uh, some of the employees is coming to me and, you know, it needs to stop. And sometimes that's all it takes. Um, other times, it does take having to go back and forth, having to speak to a number of people. But keeping things confidential is crucial. Um, so the requirements, you know, of for the employer are to listen to the employee um, and take uh, make decisions, you know, immediately pertaining the harassment that's being uh, brought to your attention. Uh, sometimes it means terminating, you know, one or two people. It just depends on, on what's going on. Um, and other times it also means training, offering trainings. What kind of trainings have you offered already? And if you have not, um, you know, maybe it's time to get started on that. I tell a lot of clients who are who have less than 50 employees because the client knows, the employer knows that, hey, I don't have more than 50 employees. I don't have to offer sexual harassment training. You know what? Sexual harassment happens when you have, you know, at least two people in the workplace. So I yeah. always encourage employers, right, offer the training. It doesn't matter if you have five employees. You know, maybe that's probably a good number to start with. Five employees, 10 employees, 20 employees. Offer them the training. Offer your management team the training so that they're aware of what to look out for, what are the do's and don'ts, and how to avoid harassment in the workplace. Because every employee, and this is the responsibility of the employer, the responsibility is to ensure that every employee works in an environment that is free from harassment and discrimination. Yeah, and uh, you know what we also hear sometimes, and unfortunately, I have a friend that got involved in the situation. Let me tell you the situation uh, he was in. Um, he had a coworker who was putting out hints that you know she wanted to uh, you know have a little bit more than a strictly professional relationship. Yeah, you know, if you get what I'm putting down, you get what I'm putting down yeah. there. And, um, mm -hmm. and he was thinking, he was thinking. Nah, I'm gonna keep my business and my personal separate. She's uh, she's nice enough and she's cute enough, but this this is you know I don't want to get involved in this workplace romance stuff. I want to come here, do my job, go home, and get a girlfriend somewhere else. Well, um, so he let her down as gently as he could, and the next thing you know, there she is, and uh, there she is in uh, their manager's office complaining that he told a joke that she didn't think was very funny. So their boss then brought him in the office and said, I heard this. You told so-and-so a joke, and she didn't like it, so uh, therefore I'm going to give you a written warning about your behavior. And my friend said, well, that's interesting because you haven't asked me my side of the story. And the supervisor mm -hmm. said, well, uh, a female – and the supervisor actually used this phrase. You ready for this? Well, a female filed a complaint, so I don't really have to ask you anything. The fact is I'm giving you a warning because I received the complaint. Wow. Well, so uh, – 
make you wide open right there. Right, and I recommend that when you do receive a complaint and, you know, before you give an employee a written warning for any reason, you know, even for being late, that you verify the information that you are um, receiving to make sure that the warning is suitable for that um, for that situation. In that case, right. I agree with him, you know, what the supervisor should have done is, speak to him, hey, listen, I received a complaint. Can you tell me your side of the story or what is it that happened uh, so that I can, you know, determine the best uh, outcome for this? So definitely right. ask the other person's side of the story as well. Right. And and what my friend also told me is that supervisor used the phrase, but she's a female, three times. And his biggest issue with yeah. the whole thing was they never asked him his side of the story because – Right. He acknowledges that maybe he did tell a joke that somebody might not think was funny. He does. He actually does not remember the specific situation. He does, He just could not remember exactly what it is he might have said or might not have said. So uh, what he said mm-hmm. to me is, had they asked me my side of the story, I might have been willing to stipulate that maybe I accidentally ran my mouth and shouldn't have, and I would have apologized. But since they decided to treat me like the enemy, I had to go all official with it on my own after they wrote mm-hmm. me up. And here's the thing with that, too, Adam, is that, you know, we want to be cautious because there are situations where there are sufficient witnesses who, you know, have also maybe come forward. So in this case, I'm not sure if if that's something that happened, you know, where there were witnesses that came forward as well and complained about the same situation. But with harassment, it's not just physical, verbal um, and it's not just, you know, to uh, one person. Remember, we have to keep in mind that when it comes to harassment, um, you might not have – your intention is not to harass someone, but it's how it's received right. from the other person. And, and it's also from bystanders, you know, witnesses. And they could also be harassed or uh, feel like they're being harassed or in a harassment environment just based on what someone said to another individual, even if it was not directed at them. And this is where, in that case, it's possible that it may have happened that way. It's possible that, you know, the person complained and perhaps other people also complained about the same situation, even if it wasn't something that happened to them. Yeah, and, you know, this brings up something else. Uh, I remember when I was uh, uh, going for my human resource concentration at Duquesne University for my MBA, uh, we were taught that there were numerous different types of sexual harassment, for instance. And uh, you may correct me. I may be defining this incorrectly, so I'm going to put this in front of you as I understand it and ask you to tell me where I'm right and where I'm wrong. um, And and this is also not to get political, but uh, uh, one of our instructors told us that if you looked at what happened with President Bill Clinton and the interns, uh, that what he did could be construed as something called type two sexual harassment for this reason, because a certain person or persons receive benefits as a result of a sexual relationship with a supervisor that others at their same pay grade, so to speak, did not receive. And then what the instructor said is when considering situations like this, the only question you really need to ask is did Vernon Jordan call every single call Revlon on behalf of every single White House House intern to try to get them a job. So that so is does that actually exist where the people who don't benefit 
because they're not the ones in a relationship with a supervisor can be harassed simply because they did not receive special privileges. Yes, and, you know, that's quid pro quo. It's a favor or an advantage granted or expected in return for something. And it's really interesting because you really could be, and I have um, heard of situations where someone, you know, will want to sue and say, well, wait a minute, I wasn't offered that opportunity. And um, and I'm not specifically, you know, saying like a sexual uh, favor, although it does happen, um, but there are benefits. And it. it could be just like, hey, you know, go with me on a date or go with me to dinner. And, uh, you know, it, it could just be the, the flirting piece of it. And, right. or maybe the interviewer, right? There's been situations where there's an, uh, someone's interviewing, a manager is interviewing candidates for a position. And, you know, after the interviews, the manager w- will ask the candidate, hey, you know, you want to go to the corner and uh, have a glass of wine or, you know, we can continue this conversation there. And the one who says, yes, gets the job, even if there was no sexual behavior, you know, or favors or anything like that. But the one who says no doesn't get the job. I mean, there could be a basis for discrimination there as well. So quid pro quo is what this is called. (laughs) Yeah. um, So much sexual harassment. Yeah, it may feel like I'm not going exactly by the script here, but what I want our listeners to understand is there are a hundred different points where you may inadvertently create a situation or allow a situation to happen despite of your best intentions. Like, uh, I mean, I could even see, I could even see, foresee a situation where you have uh, five people on your team and one of them is an absolute superstar and the other four are phoning it in, but they're still meeting everything that the handbook says they need to do and everything their job description says they need to do, and they're doing it competently. But, uh, you know, four of them are mailing it in and one of them is a superstar. So the superstar starts getting a lot of extra attention from the boss, and it doesn't even have to be sexual, romantic, flirting, let's go Mm -hmm. for a drink or anything. But those other four people can say, hey, look, I've complied with everything in the handbook. Uh, Here are all the points in my job description. I do all these things. I've gotten satisfactory remarks on all this. I'm not getting paid to go above and beyond, so I don't have to. So it's unfair to me that I'm doing my job and this other person's getting all this extra stuff because uh, I guess they stand out a little bit more. Right. And the other thing to take into consideration when it comes to that, you know, to avoid discrimination is that, you know, are the other four individuals, you know, uh, considered minorities, you know, and uh, and or over the age of 40, you know, because then right. you're going to be able to add age discrimination in there as well. So, again, there are just so many things when it comes to harassment and discrimination. Um, it's impossible to, you know, handle it and, and uh, or to talk about it in the hour that we that we have here. But um, right. there's so much to be cautious about. But, again, you know, when you have this situation, I recommend that you reach out to an HR specialist or an attorney who's going to be able to guide you in the best direction for your business and to ensure um, that you avoid uh, liabilities. Right. So we have time for one more very important thing, and we alluded to this earlier. Um, for those of our business creators who um, may be moving towards W-2 employees uh, rather than independent contractors, uh, and, and I guess we could also answer the question from the perspective of how you deal with a contractor is, you know, what should you – let's just lay this out. What should you consider prior to terminating somebody or letting them go? Because that can easily – 
boomerang on you because they can claim anything from harassment to it wasn't in the handbook or um, I did everything the job description said I needed to do or no one ever told me this was an issue until one day they can me. Right. So you want to consider a few things. First, you want to open up their employee file. Take a look at their file before making that decision. You know, look at are there any warnings that they've received, any corrective actions that they've received in the last, uh, you know, three or three or four months, and if so, what are they for? You know, are they relevant to the reason that they're being let go right now? Um, if they're being let go because they're not performing well, did they receive uh, adequate support and you know information, tools, and resources to successfully meet the goals and uh, the requirements of that position. So that's something to also consider. And then the most important thing is, have they recently filed a complaint around harassment? Have they made a complaint, you know, um, about being mistreated? And if they have, you want to stop right there and, again, reach out to an HR specialist or an attorney who's going to help you and help make that decision um, to keep you from having a wrongful termination suit um, once you let them go. Yeah. Uh, so part of what I'm hearing here is if uh, – and I, and I alluded to this earlier when I said if you're bringing somebody in to terminate them and it's a surprise to them they're being terminated, then – you have not done your job. That's what that's what was told me very directly by my professor, Dr. Leibowitz at Duquesne University. If you bring that person in to fire them and they are in any way even slightly surprised by it, then you have not done your job and you are wide open. That is correct. So, which, that yeah, is which correct. What you is the need for documentation, being thorough, um, and especially when it comes to employees, uh, rather than just discipline them, have you offered them the support to help them do their job properly? Uh, if it feels like they're not fitting in, have you addressed the fact that maybe they need more information or they need support or something along those lines? There's so many ways you can get tripped up over this stuff. Absolutely. And one of the things that I recommend is, you know, do have a 90-day introductory period with your new hires. It gives you an opportunity to check in with them, and I would check in with them, you know, 15 days, 30 days down the road and say, hey, it's been 30 days. This is where we're at. This is where I've noticed that, um, you know, you need some improvement, and this is how I want to support you to get there. And so now you have some information. Now you have some documentation that you've been offering them ongoing support during their introductory period. And if at the end of that introductory period or at any point thereafter, uh, they still have not been able to meet those requirements, then you're in a place and in, in a really good position to be able to let them go without um, any liability. So, again, it's checking in with them on an ongoing basis from the start of their employment until you feel that uh, they're meeting the requirements of that role. Yeah, and what you also bring up is a very interesting point, which is the idea of having a trial period or an introductory period. We do see that. We've been seeing it forever, but I've been seeing more and more of it as we go along. And even in my business, uh, when I do coaching and consulting with clients, in fact, I've had a couple of these situations in the past week where the person came in and uh, you know, we're talking about potential year-long relationships, if not more, where we're going to be doing 25 different areas of supporting their business. But in two of these cases, I actually slowed it down and said, you know what? What I want to do first is I want to do I want to have you work through our 30-day Jumpstart program. Uh, you know, and I give them the price for it, and I say this is what we're going to do. Yeah. We're going to meet this amount of times, 
And these are the specific things we're going to push you forward on. And by doing this, we're going to gather the intelligence that's going to help us make the best decision together about how we move forward beyond that. But I want this, I want this first 30 days first because I still need to get to know you and you still need to get to know me. And, uh, you know, the two that we've put that through in the past week have absolutely loved that approach. I think it's a great approach, and it also gives the employee the opportunity to say, hey, you know what, this isn't the kind of role that I was interested in, or this is not what I expected after all, and, um, you know, I'm going to make, you know, a clean exit here. And, again, it's about communicating. Um, That's what the period is there for. It's for you to be able to share with each other and um, provide feedback to help you have a better communication with your employees. Yeah, I really like that idea of the trial period. So uh, we're actually right up near the top of the hour. We have about three minutes left. And I want to give one of those minutes to you because I believe you have something uh, that our audience might find particularly helpful as they work through some of this themselves, whether they have contractors, whether they have employees, or whether they're trying to figure out which is which. Yes. As a matter of fact, I'm really excited about three e-books that I actually had the opportunity of working on with Jim Palmer. And um, yeah. the three books, what I'd like to do is I'd like to offer them to your listeners, um, Adam. I think that these are the three topics that come up most often, particularly for small businesses. And one of them is a the... Um, Employee versus independent contractor, and which we talked a little bit about today. The second ebook is the benefits of an employee handbook, and then interns to pay or not to pay. This is a topic that comes up all the time. I hear it all the time because employers are saying, "Well, I'm just going to get an intern." However, they don't realize that interns are um, actually individuals who are meant to be in a role where you're going to be teaching them everything that you know. They're going to be, you know, with you, uh, not necessarily getting the coffee for you or running photocopies for you. So th- this particular ebook is very crucial for small businesses. Uh, make sure that you don't misclassify your interns and then the to pay or not to pay um, you know that comes in whether you're a nonprofit or a for-profit business but I you know love for your readers to take advantage of that simply go to my website at www.mytrustspecialist.com sign up to receive uh, your email and download those ebooks you'll have access to them immediately great yeah and as you said all you have to do is go to your homepage, www.myhrspecialist.com, and you'll see a couple different places where you can get those ebooks. I've read them myself, and they're fantastic, so I can vouch for them. So, uh, Carmen Torres oh, of My HR Specialist, I want to – oh, <laughs> you, oh, I'm going so fast here, I'm so excited. Uh, Carmen Torres of My HR Specialist, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, it's been an honor and quite an education for me. Thank you, Adam. I love everything that you're doing, and I love the Business Creators Radio Show. Thank you so much. All right. All right. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our upcoming and previous episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. And to download this episode as well as our previous and our upcoming episodes, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.